Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, it's easy to think that we're normal. Like, we're just, like, in the majority. Yeah. Um, we're not which, normal. I'm also, you're listening to Feminists Don't Wear Pink, the podcast, based on the book Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, a collection of writing by 52 women on what feminism means to them. I'm Scarlett Curtis. I'm a writer, activist, journalist, and very, very proud feminist. I'm also the curator of this book and the presenter of the podcast. During this series, I'm going to be talking to a few of the amazing contributors who've written our book to find out how they found their feminism and some of the lies that they've been told about what it means to be a woman. My guests today are two women who are very dear to my heart. Amica George and Grace Campbell came into my life last year and together we organised the hashtag Free Periods campaign fighting to end period poverty in the UK. Today, Grace and I run Pink Protest, which is our feminist activist collective. They are both incredible and inspirational women, and I can't wait for you to hear what they have to say. Both of you have written really incredible pieces in this book, and I think, for me, this whole book is about showing how feminism can be taken from an idea to actually an action and doing something and trying to change the world. Uh, And I feel our story is like a little bit of that, and I'm so proud of what we all did together. So I thought it might be nice to just chat about that. So, Amica, how did you first get involved with Free Periods? So I started Free Periods in April last year, um, and it was after reading about girls in the UK not being able to go to school because they can't afford pads and tampons. And I'm really lucky that I've never kind of suffered from period poverty before and I've never, I'd never even heard of it before that point. Um, so it really shocked me and talking to my friends and family, it shocked them too. Um, and no one seemed to be doing anything about it at the time, even though everyone was, there was a lot of noise about the fact that it, it was happening and people were really angry about it, but people with political power and politicians weren't doing anything. So um, I kind of took to the internet and started a petition called Free Periods. And the idea is that the girls on free school meals would be given free menstrual products. And yeah, before I met you two, I was just kind of um, working really hard to raise the profile of the campaign and um, doing like some public speaking and interviews. And um, in in May, when the general election was announced, I contacted all the political parties and said, 
you know, period poverty is happening and you really need to do something about it. And in the end, the Women's Equality Party and the Green Party put it in their manifesto, which was really amazing. Just to have the word periods in two (laughs) manifestos was a really big step for feminism, just like people talking about periods for the first time. But obviously period poverty is still happening and we're all kind of still waiting for something to happen in the long term. Um, And then, Grace, how did we meet Amica? So we met Amica because we were on this journey (laughs) (laughs) discovering what we were going to do. We were making a series of films about activists and young activists and redefining the word activist. And then over the course of two days, Amica came in to do a short film for us and we were like, oh, wow, this is just something that we hadn't even realised was as bad as it is and we need to do something about it. And then we started working with you and then it was a kind of very natural and we met you because i got an email from someone in your school being like i've heard because i was we were doing this short film we wanted to interview 40 women in two days and i was madly emailing all these people and then someone from your school emailed me being like there's this amazing girl at my school and you should talk to her (laughs) it's so funny because she said that she's told me about it and I said no because I was supposed to go on holiday <laughs> and then I cancelled the holiday for another long reason but I thought you were going to say to come and <laughs> like, yes. but I, I was thinking like the other day if I had gone on that holiday and I hadn't met you like how different it everything would, would be crazy. Yeah. So it's so funny then what did we all do together so then we started conspiring <laughs> and um well, just to give the pink protest a little bit of yeah. context, the, the, but then what we did is we decided that we'd met so many incredible people doing these films, we had to kind of do something bigger with it. So we started building the pink protest, and then that just worked so perfectly with when we started working with you on free periods because we were like, okay, this is the exact type of thing that we made this to do. Let's organise a real-life protest, not yeah. just an Instagram yeah movement let's let's organize a real life one where we can all come together and show that actually young people are physically active and they are engaged in these kinds of debates and i think for me what i'm so proud of what we did together is that you know there can be a lot of criticism of feminism or activism online and you know a lot of people saying like it's just an instagram post or it's just a website whereas i think the truth is that social media and the internet has given us the greatest tools in the history of the world to organise around feminism or activism. We basically organised the whole free periods over WhatsApp. Yeah, yes, and exactly. then we promoted it on Instagram. In Instagram yeah. And that was it. Yeah, we could um, never have done it without it. Mm. Um, we ended up making like a huge 50-person <laughs> feminist WhatsApp group for free periods. Which I think is, it still exists. I think, I think it's they're all still there waiting yeah. what they can do next. I know. It, um, it was quite scary at times, but also fun. Yeah. You can recommend starting feminist whatsapp groups with your friends yeah and it's just about giving the people that are doing that online the opportunity to take it one step further so we started by building a website and then we started doing a lot of stuff online and a lot of media stuff and i think what was so helpful about us three doing it together i don't know if you guys agree but like we all kind of knew how social media worked Mm. so we knew how to get people interested in this issue online Mm. Um, and then we just said that we were all going to meet outside Parliament Square. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it was like the t- sort of the timing of it was the last day of the school term, so mm. loads of the people that came were secondary school pupils, which I just thought was amazing. Yeah, it was yeah. definitely young people who showed up, and that was what was amazing because I don't know if adults would have expected that, as in I didn't know how many people were going to come, yeah. even though like a lot of people had liked it on Facebook and stuff, you never really know if mm. anyone more than like our friends were going to turn up. And then 
It was just incredible. So mind blowing. So yeah. we said that we were going to organise this protest to really push the government one step further to make the change. We yeah. set up on Parliament Square. We had all these speakers. We had all these banners. And then we were like, maybe there's not going to be a crowd. There's yeah. going to <laughs> maybe we'll whisper and they'll hear. There'll be no one here. <laughs> um, and then like two thousand young people showed yeah. up, which was, was incredible. Amazing. I um, we'll never know exactly how many. It was. Just, I just yeah, remember I when you're standing on that stage and you just could just see people, like even on the other side of the road, there yeah. were people, and it was. Just it was mad. Surreal. Uh, and then what happened after that? And then we met Jess and Paula, Jess Phillips and Paula Sheriff, the MPs in Parliament, which was really cool. And we kind of, I think we discovered that MPs are actually really funny, really yeah. funny people. Yes. <laughs> and they were gossiped, they gossiped a lot, which is funny. And then in March, the government announced that they would be giving 1.5 million to end period poverty. And that was from the tampon tax fund. So it's kind of me and Grace were talking about this before that it's amazing to think that even though we're still paying tax on tampons and pads, it's going to a really good cause and it's helping people, which is like what tax should be about. Yeah. Yeah, and, and actually it's like what we were talking about. I think we were talking about this after Louisa Omeland's show, The Incredible yeah. Politics for Bitches, um, mm. that actually what should maybe continue with this is that we keep paying tax, we keep paying VAT on tampons, but all of that money just goes to poverty because yeah, yeah. we can afford to pay VAT on tampons. It makes more sense for that to... But sadly, they never distribute money yeah. where you want it to go. Exactly. But that would that would really solve the problem because it's £15 million, pounds, yeah. tampon tax fund. What was it that made you turn your feminism into actual action? Like, none of this, I never really expected any of this. As in, when I started it, I really was convinced that I would get like maximum 50 signatures and yeah. now it's at 180,000. And it's just, I, I think it's just social media, it's the internet that helps people. Like at the time I was 17 and at school and it's literally anyone who can just go to the internet and you can do what you know and just literally put up an idea yeah. or just something that you don't think is right. And there's always going to be people who feel as strongly as you do about something. There's always going to be people like you who want to work together. And that's, I think, where like the magic is, as corny mm. as it sounds. Like That's where when you connect with people literally all over the country, all over the world, who want to help and who want to get involved, that's when it grows. Um, so, yeah, I don't really know. I kind of just started it very spontaneously and randomly and then, yeah. I love it was, that. Yeah, it was cool. What's your earliest memory of being a feminist and kind of realizing that was something you were, you were interested in? Um, I mean, I I feel I have like, without sounding like I'm the best. I feel like I've always been a feminist. Like when I was six years old, I cut off all of the hair from my Barbie dolls, and I was like, it's unfair that they have to look like this, and I like uglied them up <laughs> because I thought it was bullshit that we were. I I remember sort of feeling these things from a very young age. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's because my mum was very kind of, she used to talk about all these things and she was always very vocal about like Disney and, you know, the things that kids are raised to think are like what you should become. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think with me, I like if I was, when I was like 10 or 11, I would have been like, oh yeah, like I'm a feminist, but I never really understood what it meant. Like I think I kind of grew up in, like surrounded by people who would call themselves feminists, but at personally I didn't have like a big feminist awakening or anything like that and then I would say just like starting free periods made me realize just like like how necessary it is because yeah. before that I would have been like oh yeah I'm a feminist but like so are all my friends and like if I asked my brother maybe he would say he was but like I didn't really think it was that big a deal until I realized how big a deal it was I yeah think. and I also think that's really interesting because that's free periods is an issue that one of the reasons I find it so fascinating because it links to 
period poverty, which is a really huge crisis and something that we should all be working to fix, even if you're not a feminist. But then it also, the reason that crisis has come about is because of the shame so many women still feel around their periods exactly. and around their bodies. What is that something you've thought about a lot? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it's kind of, I think I've always grown up with this idea that periods are gross and disgusting. And I think yeah. that's just something that nobody's really doubted for a long time. And I do feel like it's changing now. I feel like it's not just us. It's a lot of people kind of globally who are kind of questioning that. And it kind of really is intertwined with the whole feminist movement that periods are so kind of ingrained with everything to do with womanhood but why can't we talk exactly but why can't we talk about them and it does obviously all stand back to the fact that it is an exclusively women's thing so you know women have to be kept quiet and it kind of like dates back to centuries and centuries ago but that doesn't mean that it can't change now and I think I think as soon as you kind of talk to people about feminism feminism periods um especially talk to like your friends like I think when I was younger I had one friend who I like confided in that I'd started my period and it was such a big deal for me to do whereas now like I go into graphic detail (laughs) with all my friends and it's just not a big deal anymore and like it doesn't take that much to just get that conversation started and obviously when everyone can relate it makes it so easy but it's just like that first step of just saying like oh like even if you say has anyone got a pad like sometimes people get embarrassed about that I know I was once working in an office and this girl emailed me from the seat next to me to say, have you got a tampon? Wow. Oh and God. I just went, yes, in person, and gave it to her. Because it's like, that's the thing that we fear, like yeah. someone else knowing that there's blue... Blued? Blued. <laughs> blued coming out from our womb. Blued. Um, <laughs> there is blood. Yeah. Like, that, I'm yeah. so, so simple. ashamed when I started my period. Mm. Like I didn't even tell my mum for ages. Really? I just really? Yeah, and she talked to me about it, but I just felt... it was like I'd heard so much about what it meant Mm. and Mm. what does it mean to be a woman I'm 12 and you know I I don't know what that means and it just it's so weird that we talk about it like it's this very emotional thing when it's just Mm. a bodily function like I also think it's this thing that um I I also feel about pubic hair we make more of a big deal because we think it's what men and society think but yeah, they don't so struggle digesting it as much as we think so like you know women are taught to think Literally that men won't sleep it. with you <laughs> unless you have no pubic hair but that isn't the case like mo- like 99% of men like really don't care that much yeah. you know what I mean but we in our heads are like no no I'm physically I'm not sexy enough to, ha- to do it if, yeah. unless I and it's the same with periods it's like we think that people men are going to think we're disgusting and society thinks we're disgusting but yeah. actually if you you know when you see an image of a woman who's been bleeding it's just very beautiful and yeah, you can and like, get over it. I'm sorry, it's like bleeding anywhere else. Like it shouldn't be yeah. thought of as a yeah. different thing just because it's coming out of your vagina. Yeah, me and my mum would never have talked to my dad about periods because it's like exactly what you're saying. Like he's not gonna like that, and he'll think yeah. it's gross. Yeah. And then when we started doing all the campaigning, he loved it. Yeah. And <laughs> when he came to protest, he bought his first pack of pads yeah. and was like well, so things, proud. Oh. The thing that's so cool is like my dad used to be pretty like he's quite like, mm, don't talk to me about it. Like when I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to go change my tampon, he'd be like, mm. and then he came to our protest and then he was since right by the then, stage the whole time. I know, so God, he like, wanted to speak. It was so embarrassing. I was like, just like, oh, woman. Um, but then last week we were on holiday and I got up from the dinner table and went to the toilet. I came back and he was like smiling at me and I was like, what? He was like, you've come on your period. But he was like really <laughs> excited about it. That's so funny. He was like, but I thought that is a real tr- transformation. Can I think yeah. that's a direct result of what we've done. Yeah. 
Yeah, I had a really weird conversation with my brother the other day about clots. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I mean, you think, yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like he was just really curious. It was kind of wow. worrying, but, but like, I think, I think it's like just this thing that like it's re- it must be weird for boys who have sisters or whatever who go through this literally yeah. every month but they have no idea what's going on and like they probably don't even know like what a pad is or how it works yeah. or anything like that and it's just kind of once you start talking there's actually a lot that they don't know and, and I think yeah. we bring the shame upon ourselves because we think it's shameful yeah no, you know we're the ones telling ourselves and telling generations and generations and all we have to do to change that is stop like just be like it's yeah. great exactly totally yeah. um that's why we need to kind of like keep especially changing the perception of periods in the media like yeah i will always whenever i can make something and a woman is bleeding in it do it because the more you see that the more times i see a picture on instagram yeah of yeah. someone who's come on their period the better i feel about my period mm-hmm. so it's just about seeing more people like you and having better representation of periods and them not being blue <laughs> the blue <laughs> so Grace, yeah. we've been talking very heavily about periods, but your piece in the book is about another aspect of the female anatomy. Um, what's your piece about? Uh, it is about masturbation. I was, see, it's so bad that I was going to say female masturbation. Yeah. And that's, it's actually called the female wank and the females crossed out because it should just be masturbation like men masturbating and it's a wank like how we associate wanking with men and um it's just a kind of like collection of sentences (laughs) um maybe it's poem don't really know uh about wanking my relationship with wanking and how i came to wank first (laughs) um and then the taboo and the stigma and the shame i felt growing up around masturbating and you know no one ever teaching me about it um, and I think that's something that we are now doing work around yeah, in so. our activist life with the campaign hashtag girls wank too, um, which is sort of just aiming to destigmatize masturbation for women yeah. and get rid of the shame. And I think it's another thing, just like periods, where, you know, no one ever talked to me about masturbating growing up. I had mm. no idea what it was. If I'd heard about it, it was to do with if I'd heard about it. In relation to women, I thought that it was like this really shameful thing that was like proof that you were kind of gross and disgusting. And I felt so ashamed. I had no idea and my friends did it. I felt so bad. And I actually think you were one of the first friends I talked to about wanking. And it was even just that one conversation was such a relief yeah. that I was like, oh, we need to do this for everyone. Like yeah. we, you know, because otherwise you end up with two situations, either women don't. Or they do and they feel awful about themselves and neither are great. And also, it is good for you. Yeah. Like, it is good. I was stressed yesterday and then I had a wank and I felt better. Like, that is the thing. And men treat it and talk about it as it's the same, but they're allowed to. They are given the space to say, oh, I just like had a bad argument with my girlfriend, so I just like went and had a wank in the toilet. (laughs) And that's like totally normal. But we need to talk about that because women are missing out on this amazing experience that can be really relieving for you and I have friends who have never masturbated yeah, and I think so many. you're 24 nearly 25 and you're losing out from good orgasms and then f- therefore good sex because you're not doing it so yeah and like, you often don't know how to teach your partner as well exactly and it, again like it does ho- link to like achieving 
gender equality because when men can talk about women wanking in the same way that they talk about it themselves, in the same way as periods, like that's when yeah. we're equal. When yeah. it's not thought of, like you were saying, it's not thought of as the female wank, it's just the wank. Like it's just yeah. not a big deal. Who does it? It's just whatever. Yeah. I think that's when we can, you know, think of ourselves as having achieved equality. Yeah. Totally. And it plays into, you know, like the gender gap, the idea yeah. that heterosexual sex ends when the man orgasms means that the woman's orgasm isn't seen as as important and that means that women insects aren't seen as as important and valuable and their yeah. worth is less and we need to make that, that go away and make it so that like our orgasms are as equal as each other's yeah also i mean in general if bringing our bodies pleasure is something we're chronically ashamed of like what does that say about how we view yeah. our yeah, right definitely. to happiness on a much bigger picture, I think. But that's also like our, like the way that we view our vaginas. Yeah. Like we're taught to think that they're like gross and don't look at it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that there's like, you know, the perfect one. You definitely don't have it. So don't even think about yeah. that you yeah. have it because you don't. And people um, getting like plastic surgery. Yeah. Like yeah. I once, I see an amazing woman in New York for bikini waxes and because feminists can get bikini waxes too. Absolutely. Um, and she was saying that all she wants to do with her life is make a book of photos of people's vaginas because if people could realise how weird and different they all are, yeah. Yeah. no one would ever feel ashamed again or spend money on, you know, labiaplasties or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's so dangerous to think that, like, most of us growing up, thinking that we have not nice genitalia. Yeah. yeah. Like we project that into the world. Yeah. Completely. One of the concepts behind this book is kind of looking at all the lies that we've been told about what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a feminist and what it means to be a man. And I think I felt like I I wasn't a feminist from birth at all, even from like 10, I think. You know, it was something my mum never really talked to me about, even though she embodied a lot of what feminism is. And it, I definitely saw feminists as something that was like unattractive and didn't shave her legs and you know uh and obviously that has all changed but in my head but what are you, for you guys what are some lies that you feel you've been told about what it means to be a feminist or a woman well one thing that is really like burning in my stomach at the moment that I do want to talk about is and I don't know if it's like a lie but I think we're taught to compete with other women yeah and size ourselves up next to other women and we need to stop because it is so and i'm a complete victim and guilty person of it i do it so much naturally but it's so dangerous and it makes no sense because it's preventing us from supporting other women and helping other women up and it means that when one woman gets up then it's like no one else there's not space for anyone yeah. else to follow yeah, them so um so i just think that's like a lie that we've been told that we should compare ourselves to other women and we should always feel that we have there has to be a woman that we're like striving to be like or striving not to be like just be just be individual yeah mm -hmm. but also it's this idea that there's only room for one of us yeah. i think yeah. i've Completely. really internalized that you know just having seen so many industries where it's true like so many industries where you'll see a whole table of powerful men and one woman and yeah. you do get this idea that if she's similar to me we're in comp direct competition and yeah. only one of us can succeed which is just crazy yeah, yeah. And exactly that and so that's another lie that there's only yeah. ever going to be room for one actually Definitely. if one if the one that got there 
made it their mission to make it 50-50 or whatever, then that's not the case. And also just the idea, it's so stupid to think we wouldn't be able to do things better in groups because mm. like we would have never done anything yeah. if we yeah, went exactly. in a group. And even just meeting both of you has taught me so much about like community and working with other people. And mm. it's been incredible and such a gift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that is so, Like, I really hope that changes for mm. future generations of women. Because I do think it is still quite instilled at a young age. Like yeah. we still are taught to be like academically and just like in life, you're still always in competition. Yeah. And it's just, I think it's also like, the way we've been conditioned through like films and TV as well, like girls fighting over a boy and like all this stuff, it all yeah. plays into that same mindset that you have to beat people. What about another lie that you've been told? Um, well, I was thinking it's kind of not a specific one, but just the whole idea, like you were saying, like shaving your legs and stuff, just this mm. whole idea of femininity and that like you can't be feminine and a feminist and like... Yeah, I think that's just the biggest thing that it takes a lot of work to get people's mindset to change. Just that, lit- and also the idea that boys can be feminists. I think that's something that we are still kind of working on as a society to get over the fact that anyone can be a feminist. It's not just like a like a radical female. Yeah, <laughs> how have you found it with boys your age while you're doing all this so young? I think, I mean, obviously from the people who have supported the pro- supported the campaign, it's largely female and it's largely teenage girls but then there there are boys and that we saw like a lot of boys at the protest came which was amazing yeah um and like even my brother I think it's just kind of talking to people about it and when they understand what it is like I remember you saying Scarlett you talked to your brother about it and he didn't know anything about periods until you started talking to him about it and it's just that and when you get that started then there is you know that interest completely and then it's something they're not I think so much of this comes from fear like it's then something they're not scared of for the rest of their lives they understand it so often we turn like misunderstanding into anger I think yeah it's true Um, and I feel like that's where a lot of boys can be coming from Mm. completely for both of you what is the best part of being a feminist activist which is how I'm calling what I'm describing you both as I'm going to be permanently single (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel that way though? Um, I mean, I feel permanently single, yes. <laughs> I'm You're a feminist, feminist activist, I'm not sure. I don't know, I think... No, I, I, I don't really mean that, but yeah. maybe I, know I what do. You mean. It is hard maybe though because... single men out there listening. Yeah. <laughs> it is hard though because like, if I've talked to boys and like said I ran a campaign, they'll be like, oh, what's that about? And I'll be like, oh, periods. And I'll be like, Oh, <laughs> and then it'll just get like really awkward, and it's like, oh god. You know? That's how I felt about hard. Girls Rank Two. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, we talk about. So we started the Girls Rank Two like movement. It's not yeah. really a campaign. We're not trying to change the law of ranking, but um, <laughs> and the, when you talk about it with men, it's like they their penises up. shrivel up. Yeah. Like, yeah. They literally just like don't want <laughs> they don't want to hear you speak about this. Like they don't want you to be liberated to have a conversation. They about want it. to leave so quickly, especially yeah. with like male friends of my parents I'll be at the dinner table and then you're like so what I'm doing for a living at the moment is like mostly periods and wanking campaigning Uh, and you can just see them be like I wish you were an accountant (laughs) I have so much more to say Um, so yeah that that is that is definitely it's really interesting actually like how uncomfortable that can make a group of men I know and I do sometimes feel like we're in this very lovely bubble where we hang out with yeah. a lot of feminists. And that's the thing. That's what I was going to say about like one of the best and worst things about being a feminist is that 
when you like when I met you, it was like, oh my god, they're like all these people, and you know we're so similar, and what we want to achieve, and have all these ideas. But then it can also be hard, like you were saying, when you meet people who actually wouldn't call themselves feminist or like don't really know what it is, and then it's up to you to tell them, but then they don't always agree, and it's just yeah. kind of, I don't know, it's yeah, it's easy to think that we're normal, like we're just like in the majority. Yeah. Um, we're not Which, normal. And, and, and also, like, you, you have to work with other people. So, like, there are going to be times in all of our experiences working as feminist campaigners that we'll meet people who aren't pro-feminism yeah. who we're going to have to get on our side. Yeah. And that's, like, a huge big thing that we're going to have to be able to... And I definitely have to get better at It's, like, mm. not just thinking that they're a wanker. Yeah. yeah. And also, but also that someone can be a feminist and be really different from you. you yeah. Know? I think that's been a, a big thing way. for me as well. Like, even just reading through this whole book, you're like, oh my God, there are so many different ways yeah. that you can mm. do this and no one way is right and no one way is wrong. It's just, I really do think that's sometimes where we stab ourselves in the foot is when we try and define an exact way exactly. to be a feminist. Yeah. And yeah. actually, like, we have met so many people, even within, like, period poverty campaigning, we've met so many people that yeah. are very different. And but also that's why this book is going to be groundbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Because it's... that's what it's doing. It's like, yeah. it's saying all of this from modern, progressive women from all over the shop. It's saying that there is no one type of being a feminist. Yeah. It just also, isn't. It's just such a range from people that obviously everyone's heard of, but also that we haven't. And it's yeah. like, yeah. you don't have to be really rich, you don't have to be famous, you don't have to be a celebrity to be like, to be a feminist or to yeah. Be, yeah. have like a big story. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. Um, there's an amazing piece by Angela Yee, who's an American DJ, where she says that she thought feminist was a, feminism was just for white ladies without bras on. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, so, so common misconception. It's actually yes. not true. I know. Yeah. We're giving, uh, I'm I think all three of us are wearing bras. I am. For I am once. today. Yeah, yeah. And only two of us are white ladies. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I think to end, I want to ask both of you: What is one piece of advice that you would give a young, burgeoning feminist activist? So maybe this is someone who's realised they're a feminist already and wants to actually turn that into doing something about it. Um, I would say find your community because if you haven't found them yet, they are definitely out there yeah. and you will feel so much better about everything once you've found them and once you have that, whether it's just online or you know some of them physically, like find your people who you can stand on the shoulders of. Yeah. And if you can't find one, message the Pink Protest. Yeah, yeah, message us. Yeah. We'll put you in touch with people. Look at hashtags often, really. Yeah, yeah Or true. like forums or little groups or... Um, the first online community I found was a Twitter knitting group. Uh, wow. And they were my friends for Exactly, years. there's always going to be something cute. for you. <laughs> Literally, yeah. every niche you'll find something. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, um, Yeah. kind of linked to that, I would just say talk to people about it. Like, it's really easy, like we were saying, to think everyone agrees with you or maybe, like, you're the only one who thinks that. But just kind of talking also to people who you don't think will agree with you or don't know enough about feminism. Like, if you have brothers, talk to them, talk to your dad, and just kind of, yeah, educate people and educate yourself as well. Just, like, yeah. make sure that you know what you're talking about because then if someone does ever challenge you or confront you, you know you're right, you know? Like, you feel confident in that. Yeah, yeah. and it's not that hard. I mean, there's lots of books out there. You can read this book. Yeah. But also, you know, it, I think we do, as women, often think we need to be more qualified than we are. Like, mm. you just have to mm. read a little bit about what interests you and then start exploring that more with people that exactly. are like you. Yeah. Amazing. 
Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, or even if you didn't, we'd love to hear from you. So make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, published by Penguin Random House on the 4th of October 2018, is available to buy now via the link in the description of this episode. All of the royalties from each book sold go to the amazing UN organisation Girl Up, who is supporting girls across the world. For more information and to join our gang, please follow us on Instagram at at feminists. Thank you so much to Audio Boom for helping us get it out there and to the wonderful Pink Feminists who've joined us as guests. If you enjoyed this episode, we have some really fun feminist events coming up with even more of our contributors and we would love to have you. There's a link to our website where you can buy tickets in the description of this episode and I cannot wait to see you there. I've got a good story on that. About period stuff. I actually leaked in this dress just last week. Really? When I was at dinner with my dad. Oh my gosh. Mm. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.